0: Subscribe and rate it. Five stars. And the greatest podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, remember always keep it squatchy. Yeah. And now your hosts, Cliff Berkman and James Fay. Thanks to Mindbloom for supporting our podcast. It's time to enter the next chapter in mental health and well-being. Let Mindbloom guide you. Mindbloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com slash Bigfoot and use promo code BIGFOOT at checkout. Hello, Bobo. How are you doing, man? Uh, Not too good. Not too good? I don't like to hear that. What's going on?
1: I'm missing all the huge storms back at home, sitting down here in Southern Cal and mild weather. Oh, so you're bummed out that the weather's perfect. It's not perfect. I mean, it's, it's been a little rainy. I mean, it's 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 storming just north of here. Like uh, Ventura and Santa Barbara is getting pounded all the way up north, but we're I'm right at the very southern edge of it. Just just on the edge of it. Like we're not really getting much of anything. Now you wanted to
0: be up in uh, Humboldt for what reason? The waves or something? Like checking out the storm?
1: Everything the the, the wind like the the wind peeled uh, like siding off the house. Like it's. Krita said it's been more scary the wind was so scary for 3 days straight it was worse than the earthquake she thought she thought the house was coming down the whole time not just for a couple minutes it was like days like the the house the surf got like 50 60 feet and it was rattling the house the whole time and then the wind blasting it and she's really looking forward to getting out of there <laughs> Yeah,
0: well, yeah, well, there's we caught the northern end of that storm. It wasn't so bad. I mean, but uh, the the Oregon coast, of course, got 50 to 70 mile per hour gusts yesterday. That's the second time in like three weeks that's happened. We lost power again, of course, because yeah. you live in the woods and the wind's blowing. Some tree's going to drop over a power line somewhere, and then you're just out of luck. So uh, we had to deal with that a little bit last night. But other than that, I, I mean, my side of the fence is pretty good. I'm sorry to hear that you're slightly disappointed that um, you can't be up north and join the storm more you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of remind me of, uh, John Muir, I guess. He used to climb trees and storms in the Sierras to the very top. Oh, I've done that.
1: Yeah. Just ride the storm back and forth. Yep. I've done that multiple times.
0: Yeah. I guess that's, that's in your heart. It's in your soul and your blood perhaps.
1: Yeah. We went to this one spot up like, uh, what's that? Gosh, it's the nude beach, just North of Camel Rock and Humboldt on the by Trinidad coastline, south of Trinidad, there's a oh, there's a famous nude beach right there. But my crazy buddy Johnny G, the guy that has the monkey army down in Nicaragua.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's dissect that sentence for a minute. My crazy buddy Johnny G, who has the monkey army, is that what you said? Yeah. All
1: right, continue. He's my old boat partner, the guy I bought the sailboat with. And it got wrecked in the hurricane down in Nicaragua, and then he stayed there. He's been there, he's been there like twenty-two years now, or something, but. Yeah, he's the guy I told you about. He raised, he was breeding spider monkeys and uh, making them like guard dogs.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember this. But you know, Bubba, you say a lot of stuff, and I've spent a lot of time with you. Um, things like that, no matter how extraordinary they sound on the surface, sometimes just get lost, you know, in, in the jumble of other extraordinary things you tell me.
1: Yeah, he got like a, a adolescent chimpanzee. And like the second year he had it, it was got bigger and more aggressive than it ended up attacking him and ripping his hand in half, like pulling, grabbing like the ring finger and little finger and the other three thumb and middle finger and ring finger and or index finger and ripped it like just and bit it at the same time, like attacked his hands.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, chimpanzees in general make terrible, terrible, terrible pets. Yeah. Well, anyway, what about uh, your friend with the monkey army at, at, at the nude beach?
1: Oh, he, we went up, uh, he took me, up. we went up in these trees that were blown there on the rock, like the rocks have some evergreens on them. I forget, I forget exactly what they were. I think they were some kind of coastal spruce or pine or something, but anyways, or a cedar. I, I don't remember, but we climbed up in and we were about 70, 80 feet up and then you just took a rope and tied it, took, took, took some crab line, tied it around your waist, tied it around the tree and he'd go up there with a bottle of wine and you'd sway out and you'd be looking down in the Crashing white water down below you, like 200 feet below you or 150 feet below you, and the trees would sway so far you'd go out where you're way over, like 10 feet away from the rock, out over the ocean, then whip back. So you're back over the rock again, like just whipping around. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty exhilarating. I imagine that would be true. Haven't done it in a while though. But for Bobo, it's a Tuesday. (laughs) Used to be that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that in, geez. Gosh, I haven't done that in 20 years, probably. It's probably for the best. Uh, yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, life, life is only so long, and why cut it short?
1: Uh, burn bright, burn quick, whatever. <laughs> one of those things.
0: <laughs> I suppose so. Is, is, um, is, is your friend still around? Oh, well, Johnny G, he's still in Nicaragua. Still in Nicaragua. Does he still have a monkey army?
1: Uh, I, think he just has, I think he pared it down. He's, I think he's only got like three of them left. That's not much of an army. It's more of a,
0: an attack squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of a Navy SEAL sort of thing, you know?
1: Yeah, he, like, he rigged up these chest harnesses for them and like, he put them on runners, like dog runners, you know, like on a cable. And then he'd uh, sell them for like guard animals.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, you know that would work pretty well. It's one thing to have a, a dog, you know, if you're a prowler or something, if a, a dog chasing you or hearing, bark, but if you had like a a small, you know, monkey with claws and prehensile they're tail big. Coming up, well, yeah, they're like a foot and a half, two feet. I'm guessing, maybe. No, no,
1: they're they're like three foot tall. Really? Yeah.
0: That would be horrific to have one of those things chasing you.
1: Spider monkeys are pretty big. And they're they're long, They're not like buff like a chimp. They're like, but they're still super strong.
0: It'd be cool if they had eight legs like a real spider.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're gnarly. They're, they're they're way gnarlier than like a Malinois or something, you know, or a Rottweiler. Like a spider monkey will just they'll tear your eyes out. They'll everything.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so he 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 bred these the spider monkey army for to to sell them off individually as guard monkeys. Well, at
1: first he was doing it just for himself, and then. People were like going, "That's a great idea," and it really worked. He didn't because he, he had a terrible problem with people ripping him off, coming on his property. And then once he got the um, the monkeys on runners around the, the edges, there was no more problems with that. And then so people were like, "Wow, that really works." We started selling them. And then he was he's breeding he was breeding them, uh, getting like a after a couple of years, he started getting a lot of them going. How many do you need to actually
0: make an army? Like, what, what's the uh, the official number? Like, where's the tipping point between, like, a troop and an
1: army? You know, I'm not sure how many. I, I, I don't know how many he actually had when, when people were. I never saw the actual, like, I saw when he had, like, one or two. But um, when he had, like, several or a dozen or more, whatever it was, I had some people see it and they said, man, it, it was pretty crazy.
0: A, a dozen monkeys probably feels more like 40 or
1: 50. Right. <laughs> And
0: I forgot about that sailboat story. You know, that would make an excellent uh, Bobo story time.
1: Oh, that was nuts. Yeah, that is a
0: good one. Shall we jump into it? Well, gather around. It's Bobo story
1: time. Dude, he's going to say some things that'll blow your mind. Classic. And if you say he's lying, he's going to kick. your me. Bobo story time. any description of
0: felonious or criminal activity is being told here strictly for entertainment purposes and is in no way an admission of guilt or even true for that matter
1: so johnny g was dating this lady that inherited this uh 51 foot motor catch it was a ferro cement samson uh ferro cement hole it was a it was a nice big catch the three state rooms And it was thrashed. I mean, it looked like just, it looked like something out of water world or like the road where it looked like it went through like a nuclear blast, but the inside was beautiful. It was all hand carved, um, teak and tropical hardwoods. The guy, the guy who owned the boat, he commissioned it. He was the vice president of Samson, um, boats and he had a custom built one and he brought it down and dropped it off in Indonesia for two years. And they did the custom inside work it was all elephant themed, like carved elephants into the woodwork, and wherever there was wood, they carved like elephant scenes in Africa and Asian elephants. And it was called the Bulawayo, <laughs> which meant, uh, and I think it was Swahili. I think it was meant like elephant hunter. And this guy, sad to say, was an elephant hunter. That's why he got the boat. He sailed it, circumnavigated it twice around the world, um, and he went elephant hunting in Asia and Africa. So uh, he came back, and it ended up in Long Beach, and the guy passed away, and then it it got handed around, like it went through the family, whatever. And by the time she got it, Johnny G was dating her. Uh, It was too big for her to work on it. It was supposed to have like a blown engine and all this stuff. It was pretty – it needed a ton of work. But he got – what he got it for, I had the – it was pretty strange because I I got paid – and then my pay check, whatever I think it was seventy three fifty seven seven thousand three hundred fifty. That was exactly how much the half was half the price of the boat, so I went and housed them on it. Yeah, that's a sign. It's a sign from the universe. You have to at that point. Exactly. And and then our crewman was Bad Billy. <laughs> yeah, I remember Bad Billy. Yeah, I mean, just cra- I mean, debatable who's crazier between Bad Billy and Johnny G, but I'd say Bad Billy probably. He's Giant Jesus, is like seems nuttier maybe, but he's a little more calculating. Or his Bad Billy's just no calculations, just blah. So that was our crew, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we went. We took the boat back and worked on it for a while. So we got this boat. We f- we fixed it up. We brought it up to Eureka. We had it up there for like a year, dude. It was so thrashed. Like we 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 uh, sanded it down pretty good. It had multiple layers. Like the the guys who had it after the owner, the original owner died. Like when like. I don't know, it was her cousins or whatever, like just kind of slapped on paint here and there. And so it was, and there was rust all over it. And so we sandblasted it. And like, where you know, you put your, the letters, you know, like your. Yeah, your registration number, right? Yeah, your, yeah, your registration numbers on your boat on the bow and stuff. All we had was like just spray painted black flag bars for all the uh, identification marks. Because uh-huh. <laughs> the black flag bars, it's like a representation of the black Anarchy flag.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the Black Flag band, right? Like they're, they're, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh huh.
1: So then, like, we, we'd tell, like, we'd go to, like, we'd meet the bars going, like, Hey, ladies, oh, yeah, you should come to our yacht. We got a hot tub, and the hot tub was just an old uh, life raft, <laughs> like, from a commercial <laughs> fishing boat. Yeah, full of
0: tepid water, tepid rainwater or something.
1: <laughs> no, we had a, we had a Paloma, like, on an instant uh, gas heater. You know, like, so we actually had, we could put hot water in it, but it was really uncomfortable because it had straight back walls. And it had like, um, it was it was designed for like bearing sea, so it had support ropes and uh, pulleys on it all over. So like it, was, it was it was super uncomfortable. We'd go, like, yeah, we'd come to our come to our uh, our yacht. If there's one thing I know about women is that they love to be uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and misled, <laughs> misled, right? Misled and uncomfortable. Yeah, I know Melissa would have a hard time resisting that. So, whenever we chanced, whenever there was like a bra or panties or something like that left on the boat, we'd put it in our, you know, the, where you put the flagging up on the boats, like up through the rigging. So, we just had like bras and panties and bikini tops and stuff like that. Like, that was all our flagging. Classy. Yeah. We were pretty notorious. We were pretty well known. So, we, we uh, ended up finally taking off like in October. We took off uh, October t- 1999. We were going, we were going to do a round the world trip. And sure enough, we got in a huge, huge uh, – oh, we lost power. We lost all electronics off of, uh, off the Sunless Visible coastline. We were in southern Big Sur, and a huge 30-foot swell came through. Luckily, there wasn't much wind. It was pretty calm. So it was just these huge rollers. And word went out that um, our boat went down. It was missing at sea because it couldn't raise us, and it, the swell was so big we weren't showing up on the radar. So they launched like a Coast Guard search for us. And all of a sudden on the local news up here on the radio, on KMUD, it said that we were missing at sea and presumed dead. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got to shore. And then So we worked our way down the coast. And, yeah, we just kind of were causing a scene the, the whole way down. And so we got everything running again. Took off down towards San Diego, then coming into San Diego, lost all power again and drifted into in San Francisco uh, Bay, whatever harbor. Wait, wait, you said San Diego or were you San Francisco or San Diego? Then we we made it down to San Luis Obispo. That's where the power went out. Then we had to fix everything down there and get the inboard running again. And we got running again. Then we took it down, like, you know, down through the Channel Islands and all that. Then we're going into San Diego and pulling into San Diego like in thick fog one night. All the power went out and the engine died. Like everything just kaput. Like it was full system failure. I mean, they drifting. And of course, Bad Billy was drinking like crazy, like had whiskey hidden on the boat and stuff. He was drunk. We go drifting through the harbor in the fog, and we started seeing these signs saying, do not enter uh, United States Navy active whatever
0: There's a huge Navy base there. It's like a submarine base, man. They take that stuff pretty seriously down there.
1: Yeah. So we ended up floating past some munitions. They have like these pier dock things out in the middle of the bay, like just by themselves, these like warehouses on stilts. that I guess they're heavily fortified and guarded that they keep uh, munitions in. And I guess there's nuclear tactical weapons on that area too. Like there's a lot of nuclear armed vessels in there. And we were just drifting quietly through the fog and the dark, like around – 1230 at night. Then finally ended up coming up and banging into one of those structures out there that, you know, had the dock on it and stuff and we're tying up on it. There was, there were signs all over the place saying, you, you know, do not, uh, do not, you will be shot on site. Like this is a shoot to kill zone, whatever. And so we tied up, we're like, man, this is, we're probably gonna get in trouble for this and we're tying up and then bad Billy goes up, climbs up on gets up onto the dock in front of the warehouse thing and all of a sudden this guy steps out, some dude with a clipboard steps out and goes, you are on United States military property. This is Navy Department. Da, 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 da. You are, you know, under arrest. You know, what are you, what are you doing here? And we said, hey, we lost power. And, you know, we're like citing maritime law. Under maritime law, we can seek refuge, you know, whatever. And he's like, don't give me that crap. And I was I was trying to keep it mellow. Bad beliefs like going F you to the guy right off the course, he's telling the guy to F off right off the bat and then um the guys he's he's like you know he was a no nonsense guy and then bad billy he so he, i forget what he said but bad billy pulls out his fillet knife and like points at the guy and says don't screw with me or i'll slice you up or something like that
0: always a good move when dealing with military or police <laughs> yeah. like be sure to threaten them before things
1: escalate yeah, and this guy he had a leg cast on and an arm cast <laughs> jeez all the wrong moves, every step of the way. Good job. He blows this whistle, and then the next thing you know, these dudes in wetsuits and like scuba gear with machine guns come flying up onto the dock. They're were, they're were underneath. They're like hanging underneath it. We came in the middle of a seal exercise. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, it was a Navy SEAL, so they're all pointing their guns at Billy, and you know we're trying to keep it calm because he's such an idiot. He you know he he'd try to fight them all anyways that's just a, that's a brief synopsis of that sailboat story. Then we ended up, it got down to uh, Nicaragua, tied up down there. Then the first hurricane in 400 years to come that part of shore came ashore and blew it aground and, um, sat up there and Johnny G guarded it for weeks and weeks, he, but he couldn't leave. He had to leave it eventually to get, you know, get supplies and stuff. And he took off. And when he came back, there was like $150,000 worth of gear gone. All the, all the rigging, all the, All the sails, all the electronics, the um, motor, like the whole boat had been stripped, everything.
0: This is before he had his monkey army.
1: Exactly. This is what led to the monkey army.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a logical uh, um, consequence. Yeah, but he's still
1: there from where the boat shipwrecked there. He's still down there.
0: (laughs) When's the last time you communicated with this guy?
1: It's been a couple of years, probably three or four years. Um, Maybe it's time to reach out. Yeah, I should should check out some of the monkeys. Seriously. i have to get a hold of them.
0: <laughs> well, all right. Well, there you go. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. There's no quick fix for anxiety and depression. It's not finding a new therapist or starting an exercise routine, not more in regular meditation or a better diet. If you haven't figured it out yet, life healing and becoming a better version of yourself is a process. It doesn't stop, you don't magically arrive. But sometimes you need something to unlock your brain, a new way of thinking about and seeing the world. Maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy from MindBloom. In fact, Dan, a sales engineer and real MindBloom customer and believer, says MindBloom has helped me take back control of my life. I feel free and you too can feel that freedom. Mindbloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy, offering a combination of science-backed medicine with clinician and guide support for people looking to improve their
1: mental health and well-being. Mindbloom connects patients to licensed psychiatric clinicians to help them achieve better outcomes with lower costs, greater convenience, and an artfully crafted experience.
0: To begin, take Mindbloom's online assessment to determine if Mindbloom is right for you. If approved, you'll schedule a video consult with a licensed clinician where you'll discuss your goals and expectations for mental health treatment.
1: MindBloom will send you a kit in the mail complete with medicine, treatment materials, and tips for getting the most out of your experience. After only two sessions, 87% of
0: MindBloom clients reported improvements in depression and 85% reported improvements in anxiety. It's time to enter the next chapter in mental health and well-being. Let MindBloom guide you. Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at MindBloom.com Bigfoot and use promo code Bigfoot at checkout. Go to MindBloom.com slash Bigfoot promo code Bigfoot for $100 off your first six-session program today. That's MindBloom.com slash Bigfoot promo code Bigfoot. All right. Well, should we jump into the Q&A then? Sure. Yeah, that's why we're here. And that's why probably most of our listeners are here. Okay, why don't we listen to the first voicemail here? And again, uh, all of our listeners out there, if you want to ask us a question, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, The best way to do it, of course, is go straight to our website, which is bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com. And there's a contact button or something like that there. And you can hit that. And uh, once you go to the next screen there, there's two ways. You can either leave us a voicemail, and that way you can actually hear your voice on the air. And we're going to start with those people who did that. Or the second way is, you know, if you don't like the way you sound when you're recorded, I that, do I really sound like that? You know, you can always leave us, um, leave us an email. You can send us an email. Um, you put something like Q and a or something in the subject. And, uh, and then Matt Pruitt, our lovely and talented producer, will dig through it and, uh, give us the questions for the next month's Q and a. So there you go. You can go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and, uh, shoot your questions to us that way okay but here we go the first voicemail let's hear it
1: hey cliff and bobo i just want to wish you guys uh happy holidays happy new year and all that coming to you from squatch just outside of boston uh, but my question is in regards to the blue mountain evidence in particular the paul freeman footage why is that not more prevalent in the public eye we're talking about a
0: guy who dedicated his entire life to finding these animals, went out in the field just about every day and filmed every day, got nothing. And then on his account,
1: changed his routine one day and happened to catch one of these animals on film. And I just want to know, why is that not more prevalent or talked about in the public eye? Again, love the podcast and happy holidays and looking forward to hear your answer. Well, I think it's It's not like held back or concealed. I mean, for the Bigfoot community, it's pretty well known.
0: Yeah, I I would say that's probably true. But I I think that it is spoken about a fair amount, except for a lot of the people who are speaking about it just really don't like the evidence. Um, They're generally tainted by other, uh, other people's opinions is what I find. Um, and it's one thing to like look at the film and say, well, I don't know, why, why did it have to look down before it took the step? Is that a guy in a costume? Yeah, all that stuff is very reasonable, I think, as far as um, doubting the evidence in some sort of way. But um, so many people have just taken other people's opinions like Rene DeHinden's opinion or Bob Titmuss or uh, probably uh, John Green, I think, was on the fence a little bit about this. Although all the uh, Peter Burns definitely hates the whole Blue Mountain thing. All these people went went to the Blue Mountains on several occasions and did research um, and looked at the evidence and stuff, and they they didn't like it and they spread the word that it was terrible and bad. Um, and so, uh, why isn't it put out there as real, like as good evidence?
1: More is a mystery, I think. That's gonna that's gonna be turning here pretty quick.
0: Well, I think it already is turning. You know, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Bobo. I, but I think it, that 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 process is already underway. Um, the Freeman evidence is thrown back and forth because, gosh, the Bigfoot community is so gossipy, and they love to. He said this, and they that, they said this, and they're always basing their own opinions on other people's opinions instead of weighing the evidence for themselves. You know, it, it's one thing if somebody has um, not so much insight, but inside information. Um, about, oh, this particular piece of evidence was fabricated and this is the person who did it. I tracked it down and here's the evidence for that. But to to believe that the entire body of the Blue Mountain evidence, um, and not just the Freeman stuff, the Summerlin stuff, the Bill Lowry stuff, Dar Addington stuff, J- Dave, David Bean's stuff, um, Brian, Mays, Brian May, that's the guitarist for Queen, the um, uh, May, whatever his, last, his first name is, Greg May, like all those people, all their opinions don't matter because somebody said that Paul Freeman hoaxed something. It's ridiculous. It's kind of a it's just that's just gossip and ridiculousness, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, they they always point to the the um, the the um, Good Morning America interview where the the people asked Paul Freeman, "Have you ever made fake footprints?" And he said, "Yes, I have." And then they cut it instead of playing the whole answer, which was, "Yes, I have. I've done experiments in my garden to find out how difficult these things would be to fake if somebody were trying to fake me. Um, I've done it. Meldrum's done it. You've done it."
1: Yeah, yeah, Cliff. I mean, we went over all that where we had Michael Freeman, Paul's son, on episode 179, just a few episodes back. Yeah.
0: So, um, but, but to get to, I guess, to this gentleman's question, he didn't leave his name, but whoever you are, we sure appreciate it. And we sure love uh, that part of the country out in Squatchachusetts. Um, but I don't know why this stuff isn't spoken about more because I know some researchers who think Paul Freeman faked everything and there's nothing there. But at the same time, they really like the handprints. They so, said, well, what is it? Is it everything's fake or is it some of the stuff's fake and, so, and some of it's not fake? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, Freeman, the Freeman thing's a little weird, you know, because I, I, I have photographs of the vast majority of the Freeman collection. Um, I'm good friends with Michael. I have a lot of uh, the background information. Michael Freeman, of course, is Paul's son. Paul's dead. Um I have a lot of inside information. It's it's like, okay, well, you know what? Everything adds up to be pretty much legit. And sure, there are fakes in the Freeman collection, but that doesn't mean Paul made them. That doesn't mean Paul faked it. That means Paul went out to a location he was told about and cast whatever he found, which is another good thing, another thing that all good researchers should do. Um, I don't know. uh, I mean, I guess some people might go out to an area and, and think that footprints are fake and therefore not cast them. But what kind of researcher is that? I mean, you should record everything that you find out there, whether it's real or fake. At least that's my feeling of it. You know, document everything and sort it out later. Um but, I don't know. I, I think the Freeman stuff in particular is, is radioactive in some ways because some of those early researchers um, loudly proclaimed that Paul Freeman was full of it. And part of it is because I, I think some of it was probably jealousy. I think uh, I think some of it is because at that early stage in the game, we knew very we we did not know as much as we do now about Sasquatch footprint casts, and or handprints for that matter. There were so fe- so many fewer. Um, examples in the data set um, we just didn't know as much like there's a i think i've said this before on the podcast there's a, a wonderful video that was made public by todd prescott um through the john green archives on sasquatch archives the youtube channel called sasquatch archives it's fantastic everybody should go check these things out and it's renee de complaining about the paul freeman evidence and laying out a very uh, number of tracks i believe it's from the 1987 trackway um up there. uh, It's uh, it's above Mill Creek. I think they they label it as Mill Creek, but it's not. It's above there, Um, above there in the hills there. Um, And and he lays out these tracks, and he's pointing things out and saying, who could believe all this? And look what what BS this is and whatnot. Um, And luckily, Dr. Meldrum got wind of that. And he came back, and he sent Todd Prescott a a variety of notes about what DeHinden was saying, showing that, no, this is exactly what we should expect. This is, this is congruent with the rest of the evidence. Um, so, everybody should go check out that video. I found it very enlightening and uh, nice to hear because de DeHinden, as good a researcher and as meticulous as he was for his time, did not know as much as we do now about Sasquatch footprints. Um, and that's just a fact. You know, like the, the, the founding fathers will not know as much as the people who come after them because we build on their shoulders it's just a fact. I'm not slighting René de or any of those earlier guy, earlier researchers. Uh, it's just a fact, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think that Paul will continue to be kind of, a, kind of a controversial figure because there's a lot of very loud voices in the community who like to cast shade on him. Basically, is kind of what it comes down to. Um but I would encourage everyone, those people and all of our listeners and anybody who's interested in the subject to look at the evidence, compare it to other pieces of evidence from other times and places cast by other people, et cetera, and see if it's internally congruent. See if it holds up. um, So you don't have to believe somebody else's opinion who, and that person may be less informed than, than others or might be more informed, but just have something against them or whatever. Um, Uh, Come to your own conclusions. Weigh the evidence for yourself. Work hard. Get about get a dozen or twenty casts in your collection. That's a good start, and start looking at that stuff. Compare the Freeman stuff to the Patterson-Gimlin stuff. Compare that stuff to other casts from other places taken by random people or other researchers like Tom Shea. Any of these, and see if it's congruent. I've done that and I find that the Paul Freeman footprint and handprint casts are exactly the way they should be based on other people's evidence who knew nothing about Paul's evidence. I find it very very compelling. That's just my take on it and people are welcome to disagree, but if you're going to disagree, please show me examples from the data, not what other people are saying. People say all sorts of stuff that just frankly isn't true because they base it on their own opinion, and your own opinion may may feel like a fact but it's not. It's not a fact. It's an opinion.
1: Exactly. Well, there
0: you go. I'll get off my, uh, my soapbox now. But I'm, I'm willing to get back on in a moment with the next question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you used to be a clean fella because you, you got a lot of soapboxes. I do. I do.
0: I, I, have, I go through a lot of soap. Boxes of it.
1: Washing out the naysayers' mouths with uh, soap.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I got to clean out your mind, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hear the next question, then.
1: Bogues and Clef. This is Dan Murphy. And I've got a question for you. Being a storm chaser, tornado chaser as I am, in the storm chasing, tornado chasing community, we kind of keep track of how many tornadoes we see throughout a season or throughout a career. My career total is only 11. Some people have seen well over 100, well over 200. But I was wondering, in the Sasquatch chasing community, how many tornadoes have you guys seen? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it a few? I'm just wondering exactly about how many that you and Cliff have seen in a career and maybe in a season. Thank you very much. Are you talking Bigfoots or is a euphemism for Bigfoots or does it mean actual
0: tornadoes? I don't know. That's an interesting question because he did, he did use the word, how many tornadoes have you seen? And I guess my answer would be zero if that, if that is his question
1: we saw that one in Dallas when the airport got hammered.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that that one had never actually materialized into a tornado, but it was really close. That was awesome, No, it was, too.
1: It was an F4. No, was it? I don't yes. think so. Are you sure? I'm, 100, I'm 100% positive.
0: Oh, well, you know, it must have missed us then. No, it pounded the airport. I, I think it was a little bit off. Of I mean, I, I totally remember the day, but uh, if the tornado actually hit, hit. That would be a different thing. I think it was maybe maybe it, it was an F four that uh, kind of grazed us because we were at the edge of it or something.
1: Yeah, we were at the edge of it. I mean, it we were in, it it hit. All, remember, like 180 planes got they couldn't even fly because the hail was so big and gnarly. And I remember the the um, eighteen wheelers getting picked up and thrown around like right outside the airport.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that didn't happen because we weren't in it. But yeah, you're right. I think you're I think that you are right. Uh, there were a bunch of tornadoes in the area, and we just caught, grazed the edge of it, and it was gnarly enough. Like that that hail hitting the planes and stuff it was insane
1: Well, it was F five that when it hit the airport, it was an f four
0: that was yeah, that was an insane day, but luckily, moneymakers saved some lives.
1: that was the great dude, that was Moneymaker's most shining moment because if one of those windows had popped, you'd have been hailed as a hero.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Matt, uh, we we're all the, the Dallas airport, it has huge glass windows. I don't know, 30, 40, 50 feet. And they're just towering glass windows. Um, and and when the tornadoes were coming close, all the 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 workers at the airport, the the security and stuff said, get away from the windows, get back in here. This is the safest place to be. Cause, you know, that's not the first tornado that came through there. They know what to do. Then they let us go back and sit in the seats after the thing had passed, but I don't think Moneymaker was aware of that.
1: No, 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 no! It was before they let us sit back down again. We were, we were not allowed in that area. Oh, okay. Well, I remember
0: that guy came and sat in that area, and Matt came and had words with him to try to get him (laughs) out of that area. And the guys, correct him. Yeah, so like, I'm I'm not going to do what you say. You're not wearing a badge. I don't know who you are. And Matt goes, No, you need to get out of here now because I'm here to keep you safe, and or something to that effect. And and he kept pushing them and whatever else. And and we were all just kind of laughing. And you you filmed some of it, of course, but you lost that phone, unfortunately, or something. Uh. You lost the footage somehow. And the guy was getting belligerent, and the moneymaker was being belligerent back. And it was, it was quite the scene for a minute. And eventually security came and talked to moneymaker and asked him to stop.
1: Yeah, moneymaker is... Uh, Oh, good. Here's my backup. They go, sir. You're getting out of control. <laughs> they were there for him. Yeah, they pulled. They
0: they got him away. But you know, by that point, the storm had passed, and I think Matt was just trying to make a point that people should obey what he says. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Matt was Matt's heart was in the right place. It just the timing wasn't right, unfortunately. It was gold. It was great. It was great. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, kind of a little scary with the tornado coming through. But again, I don't think this guy was asking about tornadoes. I think he was asking about Sasquatches and maybe. That's, I think so. Yeah, storm chasers off, and my wife is really interested in storms and meteorology and sp- especially tornadoes. Um, you can tell her uh, a city in Oklahoma, and she'll tell you that about three tornadoes that went through there and what dates and EF five. I, I, I saw
1: that uh, F2 that hit Long Beach during the Grand Prix about 20-something years ago.
0: Oh, I have a vague recollection of that. That's interesting. I, okay. I
1: saw that. I, I saw the uh, the seating, like the the grass grandstands they put in. Portable ground stands for the race. I saw those things go flying up and hit into the building, and it was pretty gnarly. I've seen some
0: water spouts down by like San Clemente and stuff on the freeway. That's, those are pretty cool.
1: I've seen water spouts too. Then I seen a big tornado when we were kids driving across country, like out. I think it was Kansas or Missouri. We saw a big, big one in the distance, and then that's about it. Yeah, because the one we saw, the one, the one in um, that we saw in Dallas, the the storm wall. It was hailing and raining so hard, we couldn't see the funnel.
0: Hmm, Yeah. Okay, maybe that's why. Yeah, I remember it was really dark, and big-ass hail dropped from the sky for a long time and and pelted the planes and broke windows and stuff. It was crazy. But, you know, again, I think this gentleman, uh, Dan, uh, was uh, asking about how many Sasquatches we've seen in our entire lives or in a season. Um, Well, mine's easy. One, maybe two, you know. Um, One, maybe two is my answer for as far as Bigfoot, but putting eyes on a Bigfoot. Um, but for you, it's a much more convoluted answer. So
1: you want to explain it? Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen him more than a half dozen times, but some people would, a lot of people wouldn't count. I know people that have, I I go, you saw one that I can't say for sure. I saw one. I'm like, dude, like what else, what else is nine foot tall and hair covered? But yeah, I mean, I've only had one glimpse in daylight and the rest were all at night with naked eye thermal or night vision. And some of them aren't great. You know, they're just like Blobby or like my first one, even though it was the one that blew me away the most, because it was you know it was just it was my first one and and realizing how big it was, how thick and wide it was, that that blew my mind. But it it was uh, admittedly a poor sighting. It was it was more that we could rule out what it wasn't. You know we could rule everything out just because. But it was you know it it wasn't that great of a sighting. But then I had my best sighting three years. I had two really good sightings in two thousand four. One up in the Olympic Peninsula, that one on the Highway 101 on the Quinault Reservation. Then I had that one down in Hickorya at Hoyt Velarde's place on the Hickorya Apache Reservation. I had my best sighting ever. That was was cool. Um, I watched that one for several minutes. And then the other ones were nothing great. All of them were – I mean, you you can see them and you can see them moving around, but it was – it wasn't like you could see muscles flaring. And then when I had that one in about three years ago down in uh, Louisiana, when the the thermal didn't work properly, that I guess that had to be my best one because Well, was that one or the Hickorya one? Because um, the one in Louisiana, I could see, you know, the different color gradations, like where the muscles are, you know, working hard, you know, they, they get a little warmer and, like where the hair was thicker, you know, you could tell. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. You know, you could see, I could see, that was the only one I ever saw any detail on. What about that one in uh, Ohio when we were filming? Yeah, that was just more, I mean, it was, it was just a silhouette. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just like the the two closest ones I've seen was that one and the one with Jamie Jay at Bluff Creek. Ironically, both the ones I saw were about the same size. They were really close. They were both like 5'10", maybe six foot in there, that range. And you know maybe two two twenty two fifty somewhere in there. Pretty bulky then. Yeah, but not not exceedingly bulky. I mean, I guess it was probably it looked to me like just guessing like six six uh, foot two twenty five. The one we saw, uh, Bluff Creek, the one I saw in Ohio, was probably about five ten, maybe six foot, but more like five ten. Yeah,
0: you said it looked like Adam Foskey, our, our tech guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, just like a little, little like stocky guy. Like it uh, looked like a high school football linebacker to me.
0: Well, so let's let's put a number on it. I it, you don't have to be exact, uh, but uh, what what how many times would you say that you have had either a clear? I mean, uh, how many sightings or fleeting glimpses? We'll, we'll all in one pool there. So how many?
1: Okay, there's the first one, second one, third one. If I count, geez, I guess with uh, counting the one we if we count North Carolina. You got to count it because that's the only one I have for sure. Yeah. Uh, that, I guess that'd be eight. Eight. Not bad. And you trade all of those for a full daylight. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've seen black masses, like blacker than black, like in a black background, like just seeing like a unidentified, like as a moneymaker would say, amorphous blob, you know, jammed by. I've seen that. But th- they can't count that at all because like, I couldn't see any kind of detail other than that it was just tall and moving very fast.
0: Well, there you go, Dan. That's the that's the answer for you. Tornadoes and Sasquatches. Yeah. Let's go to the next question. Hello, Cliff and Bobo.
1: Um, I just want to say I really love your show. I listen to you guys' podcasts all the time. Um, my name is Mario Ramirez. I'm a veteran of the I- Iraq War. Um, this is a
0: question of like a, a beyond question. A few months ago, my wife had seen um, like this giant bird um, about 30 miles south of San Jose, and I, I would call it like uh, a thunderbird, what the natives would call it. Do you guys happen to know of any like information or have heard of any sightings of, of uh, such a bird?
1: If if you have, uh, please let me know, and I, I'm curious to know what, what your guys' thoughts about that. Thank you. Is that San Jose, California? Probably, I'm guessing. I think they can get those California condors, my range up there, because I just saw my first California condor. The, the Yurok tribe has been re-releasing California condors up in Northern California in their historic ranges just this last year and a half or so. And I saw my first one um, last month up by Witchpeck, and it was it was big. And it, you can see why they call them thunderbirds, because it's noticeably much larger than other birds.
0: I'm not sure I've ever seen one of those in the wild. There's a part of me that thinks I have, but I can't remember when that would have been. So... Uh, of course, I've seen them in zoos they fly over the grapevine, well, I know they're in the grapevine they're in, they're in the you know the 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 um, big Sur range or whatever that's called um in that zone there So yeah but san jose
1: San Jose is just just north of the edge of big Sur you know
0: yeah yeah the, he might and he said he was south of big uh, of San Jose so he maybe that's what his wife had seen but for Mario's question about thunderbirds and all that sort of stuff, I, I don't look into that. I, I catch wind a little bit of that just because I'm into weird animals and mystery animals and that sort of thing. But um, the resource I would go to is uh, Ken Gerhard wrote a book on this sort of thing. And Ken's an excellent researcher, kind of no-nonsense, and um, he and he goes straight to the source with his usually witnesses and other historical accounts. Um, I, would go, I would go check out Ken Gerhard's book. Yeah, Flying Humanoids. Is that what it's called, Flying Humanoids? That's part of the title. I think he looks into all sorts of uh, flying critters. So uh, I would check that out. His book is called Encounters with Flying Humanoids, Mothman, Man, Birds, and goodness knows what else. So yeah, I would check probably check that book. Um, and other than that, maybe talk to the local indigenous people because uh, they would probably have information about things that they've seen in the area or uh, historical accounts of that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, Seth Breedlove did that with Small Town Monsters, did that one on giant birds, and it's nuts because we're Bigfooters, you know, so we're already like saying there's this thing that people say doesn't exist that's there, and it seems highly unlikely, but it is there, and then you get these other people saying like there's dog, man, there's giant flying birds, giant flying humanoid things, there's, you know, it's just like, man, where do you draw the line? I don't know. I mean, for me, it's uh, Harry Hominoids. Anything outside that
0: circle, there, I just I, not, I don't have a lot of time for it. I mean, I've got a little bit of interest, but Bigfoot literally takes up nearly all of my time, um, professional and not. You know, so there's only so many hours in the day, and you know, I only have so much RAM in my brain. But yeah, uh, Mario, there's there's lots of resources for that sort of thing. I, I don't know how many we can send you to, but I would start with Ken Gerhard cuz Ken Ken um not only is a, a a good researcher, he's a good friend, I completely trust him. He's also kind of a generalist, um a general cryptozoology kind of guy. Like 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 Lauren Coleman is, you know. Um a little into a, a little bit into everything sort of thing. Um, whereas I and I think Bobo mostly too largely focuses we we largely focus on SaaS lonely, of course, but I wish I could be more of of more help for you, Mario. I really do. Because monogamous. Yeah. Yeah. And I only look into Bigfoots too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's listen to the next question. Hey, Cliff and Bobo. This is Mike from Indianapolis. Uh, Bigfoot and Beyond is my favorite podcast. So keep up the great work. Uh, Here's my question. Uh, The evidence suggests that Bigfoots are pretty reclusive animals and generally avoid people. But you would think that in all these years, there would have been at least one Bigfoot, uh, perhaps a particularly intelligent, and curious one, that would have attempted to openly and directly interact and communicate with people. And I don't mean just wood knocks or howls or maybe throwing rocks. I mean actual face-to-face communication. Why do you think that's never happened? Thanks, guys.
1: I'd say it's it's purported to have happened a lot. It's just there's no evidence of it. I mean, but there's a lot of stories about people claiming just that. And I believe some of them.
0: Yeah. And, you know, um, they I would say they have directly communicated at times with people. And I'm not talking about, you know, mind speak and all that sort of stuff or whatever. I'm thinking of things like uh, that woman on the Hooper reservation that was feeding the McDonald's like Big Macs for a while. And when she stopped, it absolutely communicated with her that it was displeased that she stopped but uh, but really one would let, let's look at this question and kind of flip it around a bit what do you think a bigfoot would want to say to us um, I mean that because communication. Well Exactly. Communication is a, I'm giving you a message of some sort. You know, it, it's, it's a very weird sort of uh, speaking is like a very weird sort of telepathy. I think something, I make these noises with my mouth and you hear them and you, if your dictionary matches my dictionary, you know what I was thinking. That's It's a weird thing, this language deal, you know, this communication thing that we have. Um, so does a Bigfoot actually need or want to say anything to us? And if so, what would that be about? It's probably going to be about food or territory or get the hell out of here, in which case they certainly have communicated with us. Um, what would a bear want to say to us, really? I mean, not much, right? Um, and I think that's probably it's very similar to a Sasquatch. They don't need us. They don't want us around. They don't, we're, we're intruders. We probably stress them out pretty good. Um, what would they even have to say? What would be so important um, that they would feel they would have to deal with us to communicate anything else but get the hell out of here or where's that food you've kept giving me for the last month?
1: Right. That's about, that seems to be the, the main gist of it. Or, or 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 take that curtain off the window so I can keep watching TV,
0: <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be most mostly about that kind of thing. Um, whatever communication is going on, because well, let's compare it to the other ape species. You know, like chimpanzees or something. Chimpanzees are smart, but really, do wild chimpanzees seek to communicate in any way with with humans? Because the Jane Goodall stuff, um, they were all habituated by food. You know, Jane Goodall brought those chimpanzees close. Like all these Jane Goodall studies, they they were brought in and enticed to be close by food. And that's how um, she and her team got a chance to observe these animals in a semi-natural environment. Um, But before that, I mean, you could follow around a troop of chimpanzees for quite a while without ever seeing them. And they're not stepping out to try to communicate with us because they probably don't want us around and have nothing to say, you know, in any way. Like, and I, I use the word say very, very loosely there, obviously, metaphorically. Um, so I, th- I think it's kind of the same gig as that. Just like, what what would they want? What would they feel compelled to communicate to us if it's not about food or staying out of their territory or leaving them alone? And all of those things, they do communicate to us. They don't speak English, but they are very effective communicators. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that that would be my answer on that one, Mike. I hope that helps a little bit. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, well, let's go to the next question. We have a few more of these voicemails, and we can go into the written ones if we have time. Hey, Cliff. Hey, Bobo. So a question for you is, I don't know if you remember, but when on the show, you guys came up here to New Hampshire and up to the Mount Washington Resort. Unfortunately, it was the dead of winter. Not much going on. I don't believe you found much from what I remember. Um, Just want to know, what was the feel? What was the squash factor? Do you think we have them up here? Love the show. Keep up the great work, and keep it squashy.
1: They definitely have them up there, for sure. I don't think it's, like, the Olympic Peninsula, like, all over the place, but they're definitely there.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't find any at the... I don't remember if we found them at the mountain. I know that one night we got... We got fooled by some noise or whatever, but um, but man, what the New Hampshire thing? Sure, certainly the habitat is great. I was very impressed with the habitat. What, what do you think, Bobs, about that one?
1: Yeah, I mean they they got a lot of swamps and cedar grows and um, open. They got a they got a lot of that old farmland that switched back to um wilds because it was wasn't the best farmland, but it, you know it still has the fruit orchards there, and there's there's a lot going on there, a lot of wildlife.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, it reminded me of the Pacific Northwest, like like on maybe a three-quarter scale. Like everything wasn't quite as big as the Pacific Northwest and the sort of grandiose vistas and towering mountains on the horizon. But man, they've got it all. It's just not quite as big as it is out west. Um, but you know what really impressed me? What if they're to leave me no doubt whatsoever, that Sasquatches are in fact in New Hampshire, at least some of them is that footprint that we got to investigate in New Hampshire. Oh yeah. That was one of the nicest looking footprints I've seen pretty much anywhere. Um, it, it was very impressive. The guy said he was going to make copies and maybe reach out, but he never did. Unfortunately, I wish he did. Cause that was just a beautiful cast, but I did get a picture of it. In fact, I got a picture of RPG holding it. If I remember right, um, and for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and look at the episode, of course. There's really interesting video and some photographs of this particular Footprint cast. And for our uh, members, um, a lot of our, a lot of you guys have become members now. We really do appreciate that. We get an extra 45 minutes or so of content every single week. Um, and we'll be doing a special members Q&A after we're done recording this regular episode. For you members, um, I will go ahead and uh, send a photograph of this particular footprint cast over to Matt Pruitt, our producer, and he will um, post it on our Patreon for you guys to check out. Um, It is a beautiful cast, just a beautiful cast. Um, I've got a number of great photographs of it, so I'll send it your way. But yeah, they're in New Hampshire.
1: uh, It's the short answer. They are there. Yep. And for our final voicemail question, here we go. Sir Cliff and sirloin, Gosh almighty. <laughs> oh, you guys are great. I was
0: wondering, Cliff, if Bobo's trailer still in your backyard. And if so, let's make some moolah off of it, right? Let's be it. Let's uh offer excursions, like come in, you know, take a trip to a museum, take a trip to your hotspot, book it at your convenience, offer a premium. You know, I have no questions. This is Trent from Chesapeake Virginia. Love you guys. Trent, I love you too. Um, and, and it's not only it's not only because you're probably just a lovely person, but um yeah, Bobo's trailer is still in my it's actually in my outbuilding. It's not in my backyard or anything. It's in my outbuilding. I've got a sizable outbuilding and it is still in there and it's it's all right. It's not going anywhere. It hasn't moved since Bobo put it there. Um, but I am with you. I think Bobo is missing an opportunity here, and and maybe you can, if, if you guys agree with me out there in you know podcast land, listening to this, you can uh, email the podcast and let us know your opinion on this. But I think Bobo, nothing personal, Bob's, is you're missing an opportunity here. I don't. I personally don't want people living in your trailer in my backyard, but (laughs) imagine Bob, if you took this thing up to Aikens Creek and you made some deal with the forest service or like, or the campground hosts and you just put it there and you hired out Bobo's um, Airbnb at bluff Creek you know, and, and put some, put a small Bigfoot library in that thing. Um, there's a number of Bigfoot books, a couple casts. I happen to know somebody with a lot of casts he'd be willing to help you out with. And, um, and you rented that thing out for a weekend or something like that. I bet you, you can make some nice side coin on that one. Um, a very reasonable price for the customer and you know, it, it'd be making money, which is more than it's doing in my outbuilding right now. Um, that might be a good thing to do, you know? Um, so I think you might be missing an opportunity here, Bobo.
1: I was thinking I was thinking of doing that, and then because um, when it sat for a while, like the all when I, the next time I used it, like the stove wasn't working, the fridge wasn't working, like the AC wasn't working, the heater wasn't working. I mean, it wasn't like it needed to be all replaced; it just needed like just need some love. Yeah, and then it, it's got it's got to be re- the other big thing is it has to be resealed.
0: I happen to know a way that you can probably drum some money up
1: to pay for it. You could uh, you could always
0: rent it out and get and you know there you go. In fact, you could probably get somebody to rent it out for free if they do the repairs. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Bobo's Airbnb is something that I think people would go for.
1: Yeah, when you said that uh, Airbnb, I was thinking Bobo's Air Bigfoot and Beyond.
0: There you go. And we can even have like a little, you know, like a little radio or something in there just playing the podcast on loop or something like that. All the episodes. <laughs> there you go. You know, they can turn it on and off, of course. So we would not want to like torture them or something. But yeah, there, there's a lot of things you could do with that. And, put, you know, put one of those um, boots on the tire. Somebody can drag it away because it is home. <laughs> yeah. Um, But still, I, I think that's an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity that you could take advantage of. And Aikens Creek or somewhere like that would be perfect right there at the door of Bluff Creek.
1: I want to get it going again and use it as my studio for the for doing this.
0: That is not a way to make money on it. Well, I guess it kinda is, you know, if we you know, the, the, the beer money that we make on this sort of thing, but still, um it might be a it might be a, a thing for you to consider. The hard part would be gets to be to get out there and clean it up after the use and right. or, or get somebody else to do it for you or whatever. But I, I think that I think you're sitting on a, a nice side income, you know. That's just my feeling on it. But I don't know I don't know it's fine where it is. it's not going anywhere it's safe it's dry. Any, any rodents getting into it? Oh, I don't know. I haven't been inside that thing. I'm sure we have these these cute little adorable rodents. they're not actually not that small really but uh, uh, brushy tailed wood rats. They're not adorable those things are hell. Oh yeah, yeah, but they're adorable they're awfully cute they're they're cuter than uh, than regular rats with bald tails. He said like furry tails all the way down yeah but I, but I have I, I will admit that they've uh, destroyed some of my possessions in the outbuilding. Oh, no. Yeah, but I don't know what's going on with your trailer. I haven't been inside that thing for many, 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 many months. Probably over a year. Uh-oh. But last time I was in there, it seemed okay. Damn it. All right.
1: Now I'm getting worried about the trailer.
0: <laughs> don't worry about it. It's it's fine where it is, and if you don't think it is, feel free to come get it and turn it into something. <laughs> right. Yeah, feel free to do something about it.
1: <laughs> I'm waiting to get some loot together so I can get it fixed up good. Yeah, well, I, I think this is a good. I think that's, uh, uh, you know, if
0: you, if you do, I, mean, I don't know how interested you are in tax stuff. You could always, it's a write off if you start dumping money into that thing and you're making money on it. That's uh, true. Yeah. There's, there's certain advantages, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listeners, would you be interested in staying in a,
1: how big is a trailer? It's small. I think it's a, it's a 19, eight, 18 or 19.
0: Yeah, it's got a couple beds in it. It's got, it's got stuff in it. You know, it, you're, you'll be dry. You'll be fairly warm, warmer than outside. Yeah, yeah, it gets warmer there. And it's, you know, honestly, Bobo, there's a certain there's a certain rustic element to your brand in general. If you say, uh, it, I don't think anybody would expect to be in the lap of luxury if they're renting out Bobo's trailer. That's pretty nice. It's just it's just small. Well, that's all right. I mean, it's it's, it's same size as a
1: tiny house. Yeah, that's true. I, and I see people rent out smaller trailers than that actually.
0: Right. You know, and whatever, whatever price tag you put on it, no matter how much or how little it's still more than you're making now on it. That's true. It's just something to think of. Something to chew on. Thanks, Trent.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Trent.
0: Yeah. Love you too. Whoever
1: you are. (laughs) Trent from Virginia.
0: Yeah. Trent. All right. My good friend, Trent.
1: Well, that's it for our listeners. Audio questions. Now we're going on to the written questions.
0: Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get through as many of these as possible in what little time we have left. Um, and we'll just save the rest for next time. So,
1: David Braxton writes, "Bobo, do you and other cast members continue to remain wealthy from residuals from rebroadcast of Finding Bigfoot?" Yes, we're making millions. <laughs> no, no, it's no, a, no, it's unscripted television, like reality TV. They call unscripted, and unscripted, you don't get any royalties as. You're not considered real talent, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> they refer to us as talent for some reason. But, yeah, uh, but, we,
1: but we're the real talent because we come up with our own writing. I said, I said we should not only get credit for being on film; we should get credit for being writers because there's no one writing us our lines. We're just we're writing ourselves as we talk. You know, like, we're making our own dialogue, so we deserve we, we deserve more than an actor. Yeah, we never we
0: were not told what to say or anything by by any means, and and we're not we're not part of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, The only royalties I've ever gotten for that sort of thing was from when we did that brief thing on the Colbert Report and um and, and royalties were like a dollar 36 or something like that yeah there, there are no royalties for finding bigfoot i know that sounds crazy and stuff because that's how the big actors make a living they make a movie and they get they continue to get paid for that movie for the rest of their lives as people watch it they get a tiny little percentage of every dollar that's made on it but that's not the case with reality tv it certainly wasn't with our show i, I maybe there's some reality tv show out there uh, like ozzy that does his show i mean i have no idea maybe if you're a producer
1: no, if you're part, no producers don't get residuals either. If you're part, if you own the company, then you get residuals. That's like why Josh Gates, um, guys like that, uh, the Osbornes, You know, if you get to a certain level, like Guy Fieri, then you are part owner of of the uh, of the show itself, and then then you get residuals for being an owner.
0: Yeah, hey, I don't know, but I, I, the only information I know is that we don't get re- residuals. There's no money being made. They basically give us a set um amount of money for making an episode. And then that paycheck comes in, I think three months of well actually was it three, I don't remember what our contract, like three months after we're done filming or something like that. Some random or semi random number like that three months after the last day of filming. And we got that check, they didn't take any taxes out of it. So that's scary too, because I don't know how that stuff works. I, I usually up until that point, I always had jobs where they set aside tax money. So, um, yeah. And then we got a check and it went in the bank and that's it. That is it. Uh, none of us have been paid for finding Bigfoot since the last episode was filmed uh, right before it aired there. So yeah, we don't make money. We're not wealthy. Uh, well, yeah, let me say this. I am wealthy because I don't need much. Uh, my bills are paid. I've got, a, I've got a, a house I'm comfortable in. I've got a wife. I've got a dog. I have a, a really cool job. So I, that is what wealth is. It's not a monetary amount by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, I guess I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy in my life. I don't have a lot to complain about. So I guess that is what real wealth is. But as far as monetary wealth, no, no, I'm never gonna be wealthy. I don't know Bigfoot Museum, for goodness sake. There's there's not a lot of money in this. Um, but there are no residuals, no royalties whatsoever coming in from finding Bigfoot to any of us. So you can feel free to spread that truth around because I know there's a lot of rumors to the contrary. Yeah. Whatever wealth we have is because we're simple people and we can live on what we make. But it's that we don't make money from finding Bigfoot now. And we, we did when we made it because it's hard work and we got it that lump sum sum for every episode. But ever since then, nada. Okay, the next question is from Chris Randall. Hey, Cliff and Bobo, I hope you are doing well. I am currently re-watching all of the seasons of finding Bigfoot on Discovery Plus and it has been a blast. I am curious to know. During your time on the show, when someone would go off and do their own solo investigation, did you choose to do it at random, or did you guys have a rotation of who would go solo? Thanks. Yeah, we rotated. Yeah, yeah, rotated, and sometimes they would choose too, <clears throat> Like the production company... Uh, but generally it was rotating like we we had a set turn that we would go in um and and I don't I don't remember if it was totally set or like who hasn't gone yet okay you should go and then we'll start the rotation again one of those things but yeah um you know I know in um Oregon when we were here in Oregon they let me do it I don't know if that was in rotation or not just because I knew the spots and it was
1: my own backyard and stuff right yeah they'd switch it for something like that
0: yeah like if there was a special occasion they would let us do our own thing or whatever um, but generally speaking, it was a rotation. And I, I'll tell you, I really looked forward to it. That was my favorite part of the whole show. Yeah, that was, was the best. Yeah, being off camping with Tyler and and just filming stuff. And it was, it was great, man. I loved that part because the production didn't tell us what to do or where to go or anything. We could do, pretty much do or go wherever we wanted as long as we came back with good footage of of something fun that, that was cool. Um yeah, I mean, I thought it was the best part of the show. Certainly it was the the best part to film, being away from the production and the circus and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. But, um, yeah, we're on a rotation, basically, is the answer to that one. Loved it. I think we have time for maybe, what, two more? Yeah, yeah we got time for that. Okay, Bob, so you read this one, and I'll take the last one.
1: All right. Chris Gilly. are there any reports of Sasquatches riding moose or bison for transportation? All right, I got time for this crap, Cliff.
0: Tell us, Bobes. Teach us. No. No. Now, not that I'm aware of, although I've seen some magnets that have them on the back.
1: Yeah. I've seen that one of, uh, of Sasquatch riding the Loch Ness Monster. I have a shirt that uh, has
0: a Sasquatch riding a unicorn.
1: <laughs> yeah. That seems more <laughs> likely.
0: No, no, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think any of the animals would let Sasquatches even get close to them in that sort of way. Okay, let's look at the last question here. And the last question is from Paolo Tourette. This is one for Bobo. Have you ever thought about writing an autobiography? There's not many people who have a life like yours, uh, well, who have lived a life like yours. It's inspiring, exciting, interesting, and absolutely hilarious from the snippets that that have surfaced on Bobo's story time. Please do. I know I'm not the only one who would love to delve in.
1: Yeah, I had some. I mean, I've had a lot of offers, and I had that book deal on the table for a while. And then I hired a guy to help me write the book, a buddy. And then he started looking at it like it was his book about me and not my book that I hired him to help me write. So we got into this big fight about it, and that got held up. And then I Basically wrote the whole thing. I wrote a hundred. I needed two hundred and five pages, I think they said, or one hundred ninety-five, something like that. I I was up to one hundred and seventy-one pages, and that's when I had that whole thing happen. When I got bumped off the plane before Christmas, and they, I got escorted out by the police from the airport. What? When I left my computer bag on the counter at the at the gate. Because they gave my seat to that lady that was, because she was crying because she'd been sitting in the airport for like a day and a half and we were just coming back. I'd been in the airport for a day, two days at that point. We were coming back for Christmas at, off one of the chutes and it was like December 23rd or whatever. Like we left the 21st, this was the 23rd. I'd been flying back and forth across the country just trying to get because of the storms, just trying to get into San Francisco. Then I got to San Francisco and the little 27 passenger plane, that's all they had back then, was a little propeller plane to Humboldt. And the woman had, I guess, had been there for two days or a day and a half crying, saying she needs to see her grandkids. She needs to see her grandkids. And she was stuck in the airport. And normally I got, I'd normally be like, okay, you know, something like that. I'd be like, okay, go ahead, take my spot. But, dude, we had been on the road for like four months, and I was just so beat, tired. And I just spent two nights in the airport sitting up, like, you know, no sleep, just sitting in plastic chairs and just uh, just couldn't wait to get home. And also... The guy taking care of Monkey, who was staying at my house, he left that day. I said, go ahead and take off. I'm going to be home this evening. I'm flying in. So he left that that evening. And Monkey was in the house, you know, like, you're going to need to go to the bathroom and this and that. And they and um, I got there. I had a connection. I got into San Francisco. I got to the uh, – Got to, it said uh, flight was at 1030, doors open at 10.00. The the gate closes at ten twenty, and I got there at ten oh six or ten oh seven or twelve, yeah, ten oh seven or something like that. And there was still like thirteen minutes or fourteen minutes until the gate closed, and I had a first class ticket, so I was like, yeah. and they knew I was on the the flight coming in, and I made the, the cut, and so I was sitting there, and, and there and all of a sudden, the, this lady was up there crying, and I was waiting for like five, six, seven minutes, and all of a sudden she starts going, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." And she's, she goes to board the plane, and I am and I walk up, and I said, yeah, uh, James Fay, here's my ticket. And I saw the chick at the counter. Her eyes go big, and she looks at me like, uh-oh. And then she looks at the lady walking on the plane. I said, did you just give my seat to her? And she goes, well, you weren't here until I said, no, 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 I'm here. The gate is open. That's my seat. I goes, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am. Could Hold on one second, please. And she's like, what, what? She starts like getting hysterical. And I'm like. I go, if that's my seat, I am here and I want my seat. Do not give away my seat because they've done that. I got bumped so many times from United. I was at war with them. I was so mad at them already. I said, you did not just give my seat away. Like, I am going home right now. Because also they said, if you didn't get on the flight tonight, there was no flights until the twenty until Christmas Day, two more days later. And I was just like, screw that. I'm not sitting here for four freaking days and then flying on Christmas. And leaving Monkey in the house for a couple days by herself. So I flipped out. And it was during that time in San Francisco when you had to like fly in to one terminal, get out, go out, and then come back in through security again and then go back to the other terminal at the same airport. Go, But you had to go through security. It was lame. It added like a bunch of hassle. So I was like, oh, man. So I had to go through security. And I always kept multiple copies of the book on um, thumb drives. So I had my computer with two thumb drives. I put them, I had to pull them out of my pocket. I had one in my pocket, one in the, one in the computer case, and then the computer had the copy. And I was going through the the, the security guy. I'm like, oh shoot, I got this, I got this thumb drive. So I put it in the computer bag, and I never kept them all in the same bag together. Just that, just right then. And I was hustling to get to the next, make sure I got there on time. So I just, I didn't even pull it back out, and put it in my pocket. I just carried my computer bag in my backpack and jammed over to the. The next gate, I need to get my flight home, and that's when that all happened. And then I was saying, "You're not giving away my seat. This is starting to get really mad." Went, where's the supervisor? Get! I, I was telling that lady, "Do not." And then, then this other guy came, and goes, "Sir, you're being you're being aggressive. You're being you're being threatening, and like trying to blame it on me. Like oh, I was the problem. I'm like no, 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 no. This is about you guys giving me that's my seat. I want it. I got the ticket right here. Too bad. I don't care if she's crying. I'm going home." And then they started like going, sir, sir, you're, you're, you're scaring me. You're, you're being, you're being very aggressive. I said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just very, very upset. Cause you guys pull this crap all the time. And then, so then they said, sir, step away from the desk. I said, no, give me my freaking seat. And then it turned into this whole hubbubaloo and the cops came and like grabbed me and made me leave and escorted me out of the airport terminal and, uh, the computer bag I left it sitting there and as we're walking, I said, Oh wait, my computers are, they said too bad. And I said, no, dude, my computer, all my stuff's on there, my book and uh, you know everything. And they said, too bad. You got to get it tomorrow. And at this point it was late. It was late. And, uh, they threw me out. The next day was like Christmas Eve and people didn't show up, like a bunch of cops called in sick and didn't show up. So there was, I could it, it turn into this whole mess and I ended up going home without my computer bag. And uh, it got stolen and it turned it up. It was it ended up in Minneapolis. Like they tracked it to Minneapolis, but it was the the beep like location beeper was in a big apartment complex. And they're like, we can't go look for that. Like we're not look you know, we're not we're not going into an apartment, they're trying to find out a computer. So it just ended up getting lost with the with the drafts of the book too.
0: Well, hopefully if the book ever gets published, we can track down who took your thumb drive because they would have published the book.
1: Oh. Uh, yeah. So this guy from the uh, New York Times was wanting to write one with me. Like he's a New York Times bestselling author. Then I had some other guy, a big Hollywood guy, talk to me about licensing my life story for a movie, but I was just like at first I was gonna do it, I was I was like, Yeah, I'll do it. Then I was kinda was like, Man, people put there's so much junk books out there, like they're not gonna learn anything from my book really too much, or it would just be kinda like a vanity piece or whatever. Like I just didn't, I just didn't see the point of it, you know. I was just kind of like, ah, I don't need, I don't need to write a book. There's, there's so many good books to read out there. I don't want to like put mine out there and keep someone from reading a good book, reading my book.
0: <laughs> a hullabaloo indeed, Bobo. Seems that you're, uh, you're, you're blessed with a lot of hullabaloos in your life. What's a hullabaloo? Uh, well, you, you're the one who said it. Oh, you literally said that like, like two minutes ago.
1: I thought. Well, I thought the way you were saying, it, I thought, I, I thought, I. I I thought it was a different meaning when you said it.
0: <laughs> I sound more
1: authoritative. <laughs> Respect quiz authoriti- <laughs> I think it's a balloo. Oh, there you go. I can go with that one. 2023 word of the year, balloo. <laughs> Money's tight, so I might I may have to sell out someday and just do one anyways. Oh, you totally should. I
0: don't think like anybody would be upset at you for doing that. I got to check out Statue
1: of Limitations on a bunch of stuff first. You <laughs> do want your parents to read it.
0: Okay. Well, everybody, that's the January Q&A. That was a fun one for me. I think we all had fun here. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. If you would like to ask us a question, you can do that. Just go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and you can either email a question or you can leave us a voicemail and hear your own voice on the air, which is kind of fun and cool. Other than that, I mean uh, you can if you'd like a sweatshirt with us, we have sweatshirts and the t-shirts and stuff. you can go to sasquatchprints.com. But more than anything, if you wish that our time had not ended right now, which it has, by the way, we're going away. this is the closing of the show. If you wish that this was not true, you could become a member. You can go to patreon.com/ Bigfoot and Beyond podcast and then become a member. Five bucks a month, and you get an extra 30, 45 minutes or so of content every single week. Um, The people who have already signed up seem to really be enjoying it. We're not losing members. We're gaining them. And um, people are saying really, really nice things. Thank you very much for all you listeners and all you members. If you would like a little bit more of Cliff and Bobo every single week, that's a way to get it. So other than that, Bobes, if you don't have anything else to add, you can take us out of here.
1: All right, folks. Thanks a lot for joining us. We appreciate it. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes.